You guys can have a seat. We're continuing our journey through this topic of hope. How do we find hope in the midst of the trials and tribulations of this life? So last week we looked at finding hope in the midst of loneliness and loss of a loved one. This week we're looking at finding hope in the midst of discouragement and depression. Next week we'll talk about finding hope in the midst of fear and anxiety. And finally, March 4th, we'll talk about finding hope in the midst of defeat and addiction. So this week, as we talk about discouragement and depression, I picked those two words so that I could be as broad as possible and include everyone. Because depression might not be something that touches your life, but for sure you're going to have periods in life when you are discouraged. Everyone goes through those times. And when you are discouraged, you need to know how do you find hope in the midst of that to help you through. But I would challenge you this morning when we talk particularly about clinical depression, even if that's not something you've ever faced, I would encourage you to pay close attention and take notes because there may come a day when you battle with clinical depression or when someone you know or love does and needs your help, needs you to lift them up out of that. Depression is actually incredibly common in the United States today. When you look at the statistics here in America, 19 million people are struggling with depression in any given year. So more than 19 million Americans will deal with it at some point in their lives, but at any given time, it's affecting 19 million of us. It is so common, in fact, that doctors now call it the common cold of mental illness. It is everywhere. It affects all age groups, all demographics show this prevalence for depression. It is actually now the leading cause of disability in the United States. It has become that prevalent. So we need to know how to address depression because it's either going to touch our lives or the life of someone we know and care about. Now, if you're wondering to yourself, well, gosh, who do I know who has battled clinical depression? Well, me. This is my particular struggle in life. Over the last four years, I've been treated and been battling through clinical depression. And so I want to share my story with you this morning. In the majority of my life, I would say I was a relatively happy person. Now, I I dealt with discouragement like everybody does from time to time. But I was generally optimistic most of my life growing up. And that optimism was founded in my faith in Christ. I actually cannot remember a time when I was not a Christian. My parents tell me I accepted Jesus as my savior at the age of four, but my memory doesn't go back that far. What I do remember is a happy childhood spent in a little Bible church in Tomball, Texas, about an hour south of here. We spent all the time at that little church. We were there on Sunday morning, Sunday school, and big church, and we went to evening church on Sunday nights, and we went to Bible study on Wednesdays, and we went to Awanas and youth group, and we had a home church at our house and did all kinds of things with the church. Church was the air I breathed as a child. And the songs of my church was the music running through my head all the time. So all those old hymns that maybe you grew up singing like Great Is Thy Faithfulness or the Old Rugged Cross or the songs from Sunday school. And tell me if if you remember this one that I grew up singing all the time, I've Got the Joy. Remember that song? I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. And then we'll skip to the chorus so you don't have to hear me sing it all. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart, down in my heart. And I'm so happy, so very happy. I've got the love of Jesus in my heart. 
And I was until four years ago, when over the course of 18 months, all the happiness in my life vanished. As I fell into clinical depression, I've tried to think about how do I describe to people what it felt like. Have you ever had an x-ray and they put that heavy lead gown on top of you? That's what it felt like. Felt like I was being pressed down by a lead gown all the time, every day, gradually pressing all of the happiness, all of the joy out of me until I was just an empty husk of a man. Nothing brought me happiness anymore. All the things that used to make me happy no longer did. Worship, reading my Bible, praying, going on dates with Julie, going on vacations, none of them made me happy. So I I tried to respond by fighting harder against the depression, memorizing more scripture, praying more. I tried to muster all the willpower I could to fight back against these depressing thoughts, and nothing worked. I, I just kept falling farther and farther into despair until it began to be my constant companion. Day and night, despair was always there. It started to rob me of sleep, so I would just lay in bed for hours trying to fall asleep with no effect. And when I did finally fall asleep, I would wake up at 3 a.m. every morning as despair came raging back into my life. So it robbed me of sleep. It began to crush me to the point that it was affecting all the rest of my life. Got so bad, in fact, I remember it very clearly. Uh, Brian Fisher had a birthday party about three and a half years ago, and it was a kind of an intimate gathering. We had a nice dinner together with about 20 friends. And that evening, I could no longer function in a social setting. I had a very hard time carrying on a conversation, and I couldn't look anyone in the eyes because I was afraid I was going to lose it. And people noticed. And so the next day, Brian Fisher did one of the kindest things anyone's ever done for me. He drove over to my house. He sat me down. And he said, Blake, you're depressed, and it's not getting better. You need help. So I went inside, and I talked to Julie, and I asked, do you you think he's right? And she said, you know, I I do. Now, it's, it's not something that you're likely to notice if you live with someone, because change that's gradual is hard to recognize. It's like boiling a frog in a pot of water. You don't notice until it's too late. But as soon as Brian spoke into it, Julie recognized, yeah, I mean, you're, you're not who you used to be. You need to get help. And so both Brian and Julie compelled me to go see a doctor immediately, and that changed everything. And that gives us step number one. For finding hope in the midst of discouragement and depression, you've got to talk about it. You've got to talk with other people about it. Now, if you're paying attention last week, you know that was step number one last week. Spoiler alert, it will be step number one every week in this series. It is essential that we talk openly and vulnerably with one another. Why? Because hope cannot grow in the dark. When you try to hide something, you are condemning yourself to a life without hope or healing. Hope will not grow in the dark. It's like planting a flower in a pot and putting that plant in a dark closet and closing the door. It's going to die. It cannot grow in the dark. You've got to bring it out in the light. That's what you have to do. If you want to have hope, if you want to experience healing, you must bring your struggles out into the light where other people can see them. So why didn't I do that? Why did I try to hide my depression for so long? Well, one simple word, shame. I was ashamed of it. I've been a Christian my whole life. I went to seminary. I got a master's in theology. I know this book in Hebrew and Greek. I've been your pastor for 14 years. I'm supposed to be able to hold it together. As a good Christian, I'm supposed to have joy and happiness, and I was embarrassed about the fact that I didn't. And so I tried to hide it, and and instead, when I came to church, what would I do? Well, the same thing that all of us do here in the Bible Belt— When we're struggling, what do we do when we come on to church? We put on the happy face, put on that mask 
that makes it look like we have it all together. And so I pretended to have it all together month after month when in the inside I was dying. Now, as I have battled through this depression, I have come to recognize that these happy masks we put on are not of God because I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. I actually see the exact opposite thing in Scripture. I see the men and women of Scripture being willing to share the struggles they're going through with everyone. Let me give you some examples. So David, who was a great warrior, a mighty man, a great general, an incredible king. Here's what he said when he battled depression. Psalm 6. I am weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. My eye has wasted away with grief. And later in the book of Psalms 69, I have sunk in deep mire and there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and a flood overflows me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. So David struggled with depression, and how does he respond? Well, he he confesses it to God by writing it down in the Psalms. And you recognize when he writes it down in the Psalms, he's not just confessing it to God anymore, right? No, now millions of Israelites knew what he was struggling with, and billions of us Christians still know about it. Why did David do that? Because he wasn't ashamed of his despair. He did not view it as a failure. He did not view it as something to be embarrassed about. Instead, he brought it out into the light and was vulnerable and open with his struggles. So did his son Solomon. The wisest man ever to live, short of Jesus Christ, dealt with incredible depression. And here's what he says about it in the book of Ecclesiastes 2. Thus I considered all my activities which my hands had done and the labor which I had exerted. And behold, all was vanity and striving after wind, and there was no profit under the sun. So I hated life, for the work which had been done under the sun was grievous to me, because everything is futility and striving after wind. That is exactly how I felt at the height of my depression, but I hid it because I was embarrassed of those feelings. I felt like good Christians shouldn't feel that way. Solomon wasn't embarrassed about that. He recognized that's how lots of us are going to feel in this broken world, so he confessed it openly. And that open confession was a first step towards healing. We must be willing to bring our struggles with, with discouragement, with depression, with mental health issues. We've got to bring them out into the light and be vulnerable and open with one another. That's the only way we're ever going to get better. So commit to being open with your struggles. Be open with God. Tell God about what you're dealing with. Now, there's really no reason not to tell God because he sees through your masks. So he knows what you're dealing with. So cry out to God. And I have noticed sometimes I've encountered Christians who feel like it is bad to tell God that you're angry about life or that you are depressed about life or that you don't enjoy worship. Like maybe they feel guilty about that. I shouldn't confess that to God because even giving words to it, um, God will be mad at me. You need to know that is a lie. God actually wants you to cry out to him when you are angry, when you are discouraged, when you are mad about what life looks like. He wants you to vulnerably cry out to him. Why? Because that's what humble people do. Humble people say, I am broken, God. The world is broken. I am upset about it. I am despairing of life. I don't enjoy your word. I don't want to pray. Please speak to me. Please come beside me. God is honored by that prayer because it demonstrates our dependence on him. So cry out openly to God. He won't be angry at you. He will be pleased with you when you do that. Second, cry out to your friends and family. 
God has given you friends and family and life to help you stand in the trials that we're going to experience this side of heaven. Friends and family are are how you find support in the midst of struggling. So it tells us in Ecclesiastes 4, this is Solomon speaking, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls when there is not another to lift him up. God has given you friends and family in your life to help you stand when you are weak. If you try to make it through despair or depression or anxiety on your own, you will fall. It's guaranteed. Why? Because God didn't create humans to be individual and alone. God created you as a communal species. We are in this life together. We have to have each other to function in this world. So we have to be willing to confess to one another and encourage one another in the midst of our struggles. And and part of the reason to do that, you realize that in the book of James, chapter 5, James actually tells us that when we pray for one another, God can use that to bring healing. Praying for one another is part of the solution to these things that weigh us down. But your friends can't pray for you if they don't know what you're going through. If you try to hide it, then no one's praying for you to get better. God wants you to be open and confess these things to one another, to be honest about it. Now, if you're not struggling with despair or depression, then what I would encourage you to do is to look around among the people that you live with and keep your eyes open for those who are. Again, it's incredibly common. When you see another person struggling with despair or depression, will you please do for them what Brian did for me? Will you drive over to their house and sit them down and say, I, I see this going on. Let's talk about this. I love you. I'm not embarrassed by it. You shouldn't be embarrassed by it. This is not a sign of your immaturity or failure. I'm here for you. Let's talk about it. Help them to be open. So we need to talk openly with God and with one another and finally with experts. We need to be willing to get help from counselors, psychologists, doctors, and pastors. And let me be really clear here, because this is really important. Four things, if you see any of these four things going on in your battle with despair or depression, you need to talk to an expert immediately. So a pastor or a counselor, psychologist, or your doctor. If your depression has been persisting for a long time and not getting better, if it's been persisting and now is growing worse, if it's starting to take away your ability to function like it was mine, or if it leads to thoughts of harming yourself, any of those four things, come talk to a pastor, a counselor, a doctor, a psychologist. You need to talk with an expert who can help you address that. Now, I have noticed among Christians, especially Christians of an older generation, there is a stigma about talking to a counselor or a psychologist as if that's a sign of failure or weakness, I need you to know that belief is a lie. Talking to a counselor or psychologist is strength and wisdom, and I will prove it to you from the book of Proverbs. Where there is no guidance, the people fall, but in abundance of counselors, there is victory. Who better to talk to when we're struggling with despair or depression or anxiety than a counselor who's trained in diagnosing that and addressing that and treating that. We would be fools not to take advantage of their expertise. 
So if, if you still feel that visiting with a psychologist or a counselor about a mental health issue is a sign of weakness or immaturity or failure, I, I'm going to try to take that belief away once and for all by telling you, I, I'm your pastor and I see multiple counselors. That, that's part of my story. I see multiple counselors about my battle with clinical depression and I feel no shame about that because that is a sign that I am wise at least in this area of life. So if you're struggling with despair or depression or anxiety and have not seen an expert out of fear or shame, please stop being foolish. Go get help. That's part of how we get better and find hope in the midst of our struggles. A part of the reason that we talk with experts is because they can help us to take step number two. So step number two, you identify the causes if possible. Everything that happens to you in this life has a cause. There's something that led to it. And that is true for the mental state you're in as well. Whether you feel happy or sad, there's some causes behind that feeling. So that is true of despair or depression. The challenge for us is that despair and depression are really complex, There's lots of possible causes, and in many cases, for any particular person, there's going to be multiple causes overlapping at the same time. But if you can get down to the causes, then you can treat the cause instead of just treating the symptoms, and that helps you find real healing. So I want to walk you through some of the common causes. I can't give you an exhaustive list this morning. That would take far too long. The list is incredibly long, but I'll walk you through some of the most common causes of depression. So cause number one that you're likely to see is sin. If you have given into a sin for a prolonged period of time and not confess that sin to God, it, it is likely that you will deal with discouragement and even depression. David did. He tells us in Psalm 38 that he was battling what we would probably call depression today because he had been walking in sin for a long period of time that he was hiding from God. And sin that you hide leads to guilt and shame, which fuels despair. So sometimes depression can be caused by sin, but not always, and in my experience, not often. That's not often the cause behind it. And so you have to be careful. If you have a friend or a family member who is struggling with depression, please do not assume it's because they did something wrong. Job's friends assume that, and God got really mad at him. Okay, so don't, don't assume that. Far more common, depression is going to follow negative circumstances in your life. So we see that in the Bible in Matthew chapter 11, where we find John the Baptist, one of the great prophets of God, in prison towards the end of his life. So he was in prison through no fault of his own. He had been obeying God, honoring God, and now he's in prison. He's been abandoned by all his friends, and he knows he's about to die. That's some pretty negative stuff, and that leads him into depression. So if you're going through a time of of negative circumstances in your loss, maybe a divorce, loss of a loved one, loss of a job, that can lead to despair and, and depression. That's very common. Now, in John the Baptist's case, there was another cause at work too. That's the third one, doubt. So John, you may recall, was the guy who actually baptized Jesus way before he ended up in prison. John baptized Jesus, and when he did, he saw the Holy Spirit descend upon Jesus, and he heard God the Father from heaven say, this is my beloved son. So John had the privilege of baptizing the new king of Israel. And so what is he going to assume about life? Well, now things are going to go great, because I found the king. He's going to rule, and I'll be at his side. But things didn't work out that way, did they? 
No, everything went south, and, and Jesus ended up persecuted, and John ended up in prison, and that leads John to struggle with doubt about God's plan. God, what are you doing? Why is there this evil in my life when I've not done nothing but obey you? John begins to doubt. Have I wasted my whole life? And so he actually sends his disciples to ask Jesus, like, did I baptize the wrong guy? Were we supposed to be looking for somebody else? John battled doubt, and that doubt fueled depression. Next common cause, medical issues. This happens all the time. People dealing with a medical issue that is not directly related to depression, but leads to it. So you see this with prolonged painful illnesses, particularly things like cancer. That can often bring about a a struggle with depression. You see it also in illnesses that affect the endocrine or hormonal system in your body. As your hormones are, are jacked around with by that disease, it can lead to things like extreme anxiety or clinical depression. You see it also actually with something really good, with pregnancy. Postpartum depression is incredibly common and can be very dangerous if not treated. So often a medical issue that is not directly connected to depression can lead to depression. Next common cause, prolonged stress. There's a pastor up in the Dallas area named Tommy Nelson. He's been the senior pastor of Denton Bible Church for decades. Faithful guy, has had a powerful ministry for so many years, um, preaches all the time, teaches all the time, writes all the time, about four years ago fell into depression. Why? Well, because he was a self-confessed adrenaline junkie. He overworked. He loved preaching two or three times as often as I preach, writing everywhere, teaching everywhere. He just, he lived on that stress. It fueled him, but his body couldn't keep up. And all of those years of constant stress took their toll and his chemical balance in his body crashed and he fell into depression. So stress, prolonged stress, common cause of depression. Demonic attack can do it. We see that with King Saul in the Old Testament. He falls into depression due to a spiritual attack. Now, again, this is nowhere near an exhaustive list. I'm just trying to give you a sense of some of the common causes behind depression. Now, part of the reason that we, we sit down and talk with an expert, like a counselor or a pastor or a doctor, when we face despair or depression, is they can help us get to those root causes so we can treat the cause and not just the symptom. So what was going on in, in my life? that led to this battle with clinical depression. Well, I sat down with experts, multiple of them, to try to figure out how did I get here? What did I do? And we identified three overlapping causes. The first was prolonged stress, similar to to Tommy Nelson. Um, I had a lot of stress at work and at home. Southwood was growing leaps and bounds, which meant there was more to do than I could ever get done. And then I would drive home, and I had discovered that being a dad was harder than I could have ever imagined it to be. So I had stress everywhere. And then it was right about four years ago that Julie came down with a number of related chronic medical issues. And so for a time, I had to be the primary caregiver at home. And it's actually been proven by research that primary caregiver are far more susceptible to depression than the general population. So prolonged stress was one factor. Second factor for me was doubt. I've always struggled with doubt. It's in my nature. I'm a cynic by nature. That doubt subsided when I became a pastor, but it came raging back about four years ago over the question of hell and how a good God could have created something like hell. And that question kept me up at night because I couldn't fit it together in my brain, and I feared I was losing my faith. And I'm a pastor, so you don't get to lose your faith and keep your job. So I was afraid I would be fired and lose my house and lose everything. And so doubt fueled depression. 
Third cause. This is a surprising one because it's founded in something really good. Four years ago is when Southwood filled up. It was a Sunday morning in the fall, and I remember it well. We used every single chair in the building, then walked outside, grabbed every park bench, and still couldn't seat everyone. Really good thing. A few weeks later, pastors gather together in the conference room, so what do we do next? And we put up a chart on the board, and it said, Anderson, Southwood, Campus 3, which would be Creekside, Campus 4. And then we listed as rows, Year 2, Year 5, Year 10, and under the Southwood one, it said, Blake... Blake, Blake, and suddenly I realized, I'm done. There's no more mountains for me to climb in my career. My goal for the rest of my life is keep doing the same thing every week till I die. That room became claustrophobic to me. I was crushed by my own success, and that's actually incredibly common. You may have read an article a few weeks ago about the great Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps. He has struggled with clinical depression and even suicide attempts. What, when was it worse? Right after he returned from the Olympics with all of those gold medals. How could that be the worst? Because he had just climbed his mountain. Now what? What's next? Greatest swimmer in the world. How do you get better from that? The lack of a new mountain to climb. All of that success led him to dis- depression and despair. That's incredibly common. I remember counseling a woman a number of years ago who couldn't figure out why her husband was depressed. For decades, he had tried to build a business and had put in incredible sacrifice, incredible hard work. And finally, in the last few years, it had begun to make traction. Things had gotten better. He was successful. He could breathe. He could rest. And what did he get? Depressed. Because he was made to climb mountains. And as far as he could see, there were no new mountains to climb. Success left him empty. So you you identify these causes behind your depression, and now you begin to treat it. And how, how do you do that? How do you treat your despair or depression once you know where it's coming from? Well, historically, there have been two schools of thought, the religious school of thought and the medical school of thought. The religious school of thought says you treat things like depression or anxiety with scripture and prayer and worship and fellowship in the church. The medical school of thought says that you treat things like depression and anxiety with doctors and psychologists and medicine. Some people will tell you you have to pick one or the other. That is false. God wants both. Why? Because the Bible is really clear. You were designed a spirit and a body inextricably bound. What you do to one affects the other. How you treat your body affects your spirit. How you treat your spirit affects your body. So to find healing from something as as discouraging and weighty as depression or anxiety, you must treat both body and spirit. That is the only way. So I'm going to walk you through some practical steps, how you treat your body, how you treat your spirit. So let's start with the spirit. How do you treat your spirit? Some people would call it your soul, that immaterial spiritual part of you. What do you do to help your spirit in the midst of depression or despair? Well, I'm going to give you three steps that were helpful in my struggle. This is not an exhaustive list. There's a whole lot more we could say, but these are kind of my top three. First, You treat your spirit by continuing to worship, pray, and obey. And that may sound obvious, but that is incredibly hard when you're in the midst of despair or depression. Because when you're depressed, it doesn't matter how much you worship, pray, or obey, you're not going to feel good about it. You don't feel good about anything. 
So you worship and you pray and you get nothing out of it. It's like, it's like ash in your mouth. It's tasteless. And, and you obey and it's hard, but it doesn't make you feel any better. And so that's when temptation comes knocking and you begin to wonder, why shouldn't I give into sin? Because at least I'll feel something for a moment. At least it will feel good for a few minutes and that's better than never feeling anything. But that's exactly when you must persevere because sin always makes everything worse. Sin just adds guilt and shame on top of the despair and makes healing harder. So here is what Solomon says towards the end of the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, the very end, this book about his journey through depression. He says, the conclusion, when all has been heard is, fear God and keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. No matter how much you are struggling with despair, or depression, or anxiety, or loneliness, keep obeying, keep fighting for righteousness, even when you get nothing out of it. Why? Because the other choice makes everything worse. And so keep fighting, keep obeying, keep worshiping, keep praying. Second step, fight lies with truth. In almost every case, despair or depression is going to be partially fueled by one or more lies running through your head. Things that aren't true about God, about life, about you, about your family, whatever it might be. Well, you fight those lies by finding biblical truth that speaks against it. Now, since there's an infinite variety of lies that could be going through your head, there's an infinite variety of particular scriptural truths you need. I can't give them all to you. This is where it's really helpful to sit down with a pastor or a counselor who can help you identify the lie that you're wrestling with and help give you biblical truth to fight against it. I'll just give you a couple examples. For a lot of people, they struggle with despair over some sin in their past that they just still feel guilty about, even though they've confessed it to God. Well, the truth that they need is found in 1 John 1, 9, where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. They need to hear that truth, that if they confess it to God, it is completely forgiven. It is completely cleansed. There is no guilt. They need to hear it over and over and over. They need to write it out and put it on their wall. They need to read it so often that they've memorized it so that that piece of scripture can fight the lie. Another example, a lot of people struggle with despair when they lose their job and they fear that, that I'm going to lose my home. I'm going to lose everything. The truth that they need is Hebrews 13. It says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? They need to to read that verse over and over again and remind themselves God is with them. He will never forsake them, never abandon them. He will take care of them. He will help them. Read it so often that it's memorized and it begins to fight against the lie. So turn to a counselor or a pastor or a mentor who can help you identify the lie running through your mind and then find scripture to fight that lie. Memorize it, read it, meditate on it. Scripture, truth, will help us fight lies that fuel depression. Third step to treating your spirit, find good things to enjoy. I think most of us know we're not here on the planet Earth just to have fun. We're here to help people come to find and follow Jesus. However, that doesn't mean that God desires you to live a miserable life. Quite the contrary, God actually is happy when you are happy with the good things he's provided. 
Uh, Let me prove it to you. Here's what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. Then I realize that it is good and proper for a man to eat and drink and to find satisfaction in his toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given him, for this is his lot. I've seen two unhelpful opposites in the Christian church that we have to avoid. One worships possessions and pleasure. So that, I make that ultimate. The other abstains from all pleasure, all possessions, out of some feeling that I'm more holy if I'm never happy. Both of those are false. God wants us to walk the middle path, not worshiping happiness, not worshiping possessions or pleasure, but instead enjoying them as a good gift that he has provided. And so find some good things in this world that fill your heart with happiness, that give you new skills to learn, new challenges to enjoy, new things to experience. Now, for me, what did this look like in my depression? Well, for me, it looked like this. I went out about four years ago when the depression really set in, and I bought a little red sports car. So yes, I am a stereotype. Middle-aged man, midlife crisis, buys a red sports car. I did that, but that car ended up giving me life. That car had more of an effect on my life in a positive way than I can possibly express to you. You see, first of all, that car gave me a new mountain to climb because I I didn't know how to fix cars on my own. I learned how to do everything on that car. So there were new skills, and that that gives life to learn new skills. Second, gave me a new challenge, new mountain to climb in the sense that I learned how to race it out at the track and compete with other guys, and that was a new challenge. Third, it gave me new relationships. I met all these guys who would never come to church, but who will hang out at the track with me, and that gave me new purpose in life to model Christ to these men who would never come to church. And then finally, because of everything I learned on that car, it led my wife and I to start a new charity here in town, giving cars to people in need. I would have never done that without the things I learned building that car. So I believe if there are any cars in heaven, which I do believe will be the case, that will be one of them. (laughs) Because God used that car as a major part of my healing. Now I will say, really to her credit, Julie was amazing in this process because she didn't freak out when I came home with a little red sports car. Instead, she supported me. She, she understood I, I need new skills to learn. I need new challenges. I need to make new relationships. She's been supportive along the way, and that made an incredible difference to me. Okay, so find ways to treat your spirit by finding good things in this life to enjoy. God wants you to do that. But we can't just treat our spirit, right? We also have to treat our body. So let's talk about that now. How do you treat your body? Well, it's interesting. Over the years, as I have counseled people struggling with depression or anxiety, actually either of them, I have learned to always ask in the course of the meeting about their sleep patterns, their diet, and their exercise. Why? Because I cannot tell you how often I have sat down with a college student who is freaking out over depression or anxiety, and I find out in the course of the conversation they're sleeping on average three hours a night and subsisting on a diet of pepperoni pizza. And I want them to understand, if I lived your schedule and ate your diet, I would want to die. You cannot live that way. You have to treat your body well. That's actually a spiritual imperative. Why? Because you are spirit and body inextricably linked. What you do to your body affects your spirit. You cannot avoid that. So you cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus if you don't take care of your body. You must do it. It is a moral imperative. 
So in particular, what does that look like? Well, as I'm talking with these college students, the first thing we talk about is sleep. You got to get it. And on average, for us adults, that means eight hours a night. There's some who can subsist on less than that. There's some that need more than that. You've got to figure out what your body needs. But on average, it's going to be eight hours a night. For teenagers, it's actually more. On average, it's nine hours a night that they need. Now, some teenagers will think that is ridiculous. If they think that is ridiculous, you just tell them, you are wrong and you will suffer for it. Because your social life is writing checks your body can't cash. It will catch up to you. You've got to get to sleep. There is no way to have mental health without sleep. Okay, so let's make sure we're getting enough sleep. Second, let's look at our diet. It's fascinating to me. Elijah, the great prophet in the Old Testament, he struggled with a period of great depression. It came on because he was being um, hunted by a wicked queen, Jezebel, and all his friends had been murdered by her. And he flees to the wilderness, um, struggling with despair. He is actually so depressed that he asked God to kill him. And in that moment, I mean, a suicidal statement to God, God shows up. And what does God do? To pat him on the back, to pull out the Bible, here's some scripture to memorize, let's pray together. No, actually, God shows up and cooks him a hot meal. That's what he, he gives him a hot meal to eat, and then he puts Elijah to bed. He sleeps through the night and wakes up. Now do we talk? Nope. Cooks him a hot breakfast. Gives him a second hot meal. And only after Elijah had eaten two hot meals and slept, finally did God open his mouth and speak. Now let's talk about what you're facing. Why? Because God understood, bro, what you need is some food. Let's get you some food. Let's get you some sleep. And then you will be reasonable to talk to. Okay, so let's make sure that we are eating well. If you struggle with that, please talk to a doctor or a nutritionist. Eating well is a moral imperative. It's essential because that's part of how your spirit follows Jesus. Okay, you got to take care of your body. Third, exercise. It's actually been proven by research that mild cases of depression can sometimes be cured by exercise alone. Okay, it's that powerful. Exercise can help rebalance the chemicals in our body. Not always the case for sure, but what I can say is that in every case of despair or depression or anxiety, exercise will be part of the solution. It is that important. You must have exercise to have a healthy mental state. So that's part of my path to healing. I'm not great at this one because honestly, I'm really busy and I hate everything about the gym, but I am trying to do better because I know there's no hope for me if I don't get exercise. Okay, so make sure that you're getting the exercise you need. Fourth, rest. And by rest, I don't mean sleep. We already talked about that one. I'm talking about days off. You have to have times when you unplug from the responsibilities of life. Remember, for Tommy Nelson, for me, a big part of our depression was prolonged stress. You don't take days off, you are going to become depressed. Okay, so get away. God doesn't need you. He wants you to get some rest. Finally, number five, consider medication. So every morning for the last two and a half years, I wake up and I take a little white pill called Lexapro. It's an SSRI, an antidepressant that helps balance out the serotonin levels in my body. Two and a half years ago when my doctor said I had to go on that, I was very resistant. The reason was I was ashamed. I was was ashamed. I've been a pastor for 14 years. I have a master's in theology. I, I should be able to manage my mental state without a little white pill, right? And I have the Holy Spirit. I should feel joy. Surely I've done something wrong. This is a sign of immaturity. It's a sign of weakness. No, it's not. 
My doctor sat me down and he talked with me for a while and then I did a lot of reading afterwards. And what I learned is that things like depression and anxiety disorders are not just spiritual issues. They are also diseases of the brain. Just like any illness you struggle with and medication is often a required part of the treatment. So let me prove to you that I know what I'm talking about. Here's my little sciency chart for you. When you look at depression in particular, what's going on? Well, in clinical cases of depression, what has happened is that these prolonged triggers like stress or doubt or whatever it might be, it begins to affect the serotonin levels in your brain. And for me, over a long period of time, serotonin drops so low that the emotional parts of my brain, the portions of my brain that control emotional state, were no longer ever being stimulated by serotonin. That's why I never felt anything anymore. And what the doctor told me is, it doesn't matter, Blake, how much you pray or how much scripture you memorize, you are never going to get better until we give you medication that brings back up your serotonin levels. And so I sucked up my pride because that's ultimately what was going on. It was pride, thinking that I was somehow good enough to hold my life together without medication. I sucked up my pride because my life was awful at the moment. And I began to take that Lexapro and within four weeks, everything changed. It felt like that lead blanket finally lifted off of me. Even when no scripture, no prayer, no exercise, nothing could take it away. Finally, the lead blanket rifted off. I began to sleep again. I felt like me again. Lexapro changed everything. Now, let's be clear. Lexapro is not for everyone. That's why you need to talk to your doctor. Your doctor can help figure out what is your path forward, and it might or might not include medication. And just to be clear, Lexapro alone is not enough. Remember, we have to treat our spirit. We have to treat our body. We have to do all of these things. So, If medication is required, it will only be part of the solution. But for me, it was a significant part. And and I'm being vulnerable and open with you guys because I'm really concerned about a stigma that I have seen in the Christian church in America that somehow taking a psychotropic medication like an antidepressant is somehow a sign of weakness or immaturity, that you should be able to manage by faith alone. That is a lie. I'm praying that God will finally put to death that stigma in our church over the use of psychotropic medications. They are just a tool. They're not something to be ashamed of. They're a gift God has given us to help us to walk in health. So for me, it's been Lexapro. What is actually really ironic is that about a year after I started taking Lexapro, I read Tommy Nelson's story. And Lexapro is also his drug of choice that he needed. So Tommy and I are Lexapro buds. And I thought to myself, well, Tommy's been a senior pastor of a huge church for like 40 years. So probably if it's okay for Tommy to take Lexapro, it's okay for me to take it. And if it's okay for us to take it, probably it's okay for you to take it. Okay, so don't be ashamed of asking your doctor for medication. It's a tool that can help you walk in health. Okay, so we treat our body. Finally, step number five, we need to be patient with ourselves. You've got to be patient with yourself because something as significant as depression is not going to get better overnight. It takes a, a long period of time. And so you have to be patient with yourself through that journey of, of healing. And so for me, I am in year four of this battle with depression, and I still take a pill every morning, and I may still be taking a pill every morning for the rest of my life. And you know what? I'm okay with that. 
Why? Because there's plenty of people in this book who struggle with despair for a long time, and it wasn't a sign of failure or immaturity. And so for me, I look at my depression that continues day after day. I continue to treat it in all of these different ways. I have begun to see my depression as a necessary part of the story God is writing with my life. There is something behind it. While depression itself is not good, God really is, just as we saying, big enough to bring good out of bad things. And so what good has God brought? Well, gosh, I wouldn't be teaching this sermon to you if I didn't deal with depression, and I would have never started our on-ramp charity, and I would have never met those guys at the track who would never come to church otherwise. So I look at this battle I've had with depression, and I see God bringing good out of it, and I'm confident he'll do the same in your life. Whatever your battle is, and let's be honest, all of us have something we battle. God can bring incredible good out of it, but you got to give him time. If you try to rush your healing, it will only get worse because you'll add stress to the equation. You got to be patient with yourself. You got to give yourself time. And the good news is, as you give yourself time and practice these five steps we've talked about this morning, it really can get better. I am not cured. I don't know that I will be cured of clinical depression this side of heaven, but I am much better than I was four years ago. I'm able to function. I'm able to talk about it. I'm able to help other people. I'm able to make it through life because it does get better. Even if you battle it for the rest of this life, you can get much better if you will do these five things. And so let's pray that God will help us to be humble enough and caring enough to take these steps and find healing. Heavenly Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a God who is not ashamed of our weakness. You are not embarrassed of our struggles with things like depression or despair or anxiety or doubt. None of that makes you angry. Instead, you are a God who is gracious and kind and gentle to us, and we praise you and thank you for that. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that when you came to earth, you didn't just live a righteous life and die for us and rise from the dead, but in the midst of it, you wept with us. You experienced the pain and struggles of this life with us so that you could become a faithful high priest who empathizes with us in our need. And so we thank you, Lord God, that in your eyes, we are not failures. We are not um, embarrassments when we struggle with depression or despair or anxiety or doubt. I, I pray, Lord, that we would give one another that same grace and that even harder, we would give ourselves that same grace, that we would fight actively against the lie that there is any reason to be embarrassed or ashamed of depression or anxiety or doubt or using a psychotropic medication or seeing a counselor or psychologist. I pray that we would give one another the gift of truth, that all of those things can be actually a sign of strength and a sign of you working and moving. And I pray for Grace Bible Church, Lord, and especially here at the Creekside campus. I pray that that this family would be a safe place for people who struggle with things like depression, that in this place they would find hope and healing, that they would not be judged, that instead they would be encouraged to make use of every tool that you have given us to walk in health. And I, I thank you most of all, Lord, that even if we don't find a complete cure in this life, we have hope because there is another life coming. When every illness is healed, including depression, and we can walk in unending joy. We look forward to that, but in the meantime, help us in humility to walk openly and honestly with you and one another. 
We praise you and thank you that you are a God who helps and who heals. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, God bless you guys. Next week, we'll talk about anxiety.